Good morning. Please turn with me your Bibles to the last chapter of Philippians, uh, chapter 4. Uh, Philippians, you'll find it towards the end of your Bible, about the last third of the New Testament. And uh, let me tell you a little bit about background, uh, in case you're new and you haven't been in on this series so far. Um, Paul, we see in Acts, he, uh, he meets a, a lady named Lydia, and he teaches, teaches her about Christ and the gospel, and Lydia responds by trusting Christ as her Savior. And, and then Paul begins to build a church there uh, in this uh, in this. In, in, in Philippi and so what started as just a couple people by the river uh, became a church and, and became a, what appears to be a, a pretty good functioning church uh, a church that Paul loves uh, a church that loves Paul because Paul is writing this letter uh, to uh, to the to the Philippian church uh, from jail and, and this all started when the church found out he had been arrested uh, for, the, for his faith. And so they wanted to wonder, they were wondering, what's going on with Paul? Uh, what's happening with him? And so they sent a guy to, with a care package to kind of go check on Paul. And, and then uh, Paul sends this guy back, and he wrote this letter to let him know how he was doing. And so um, what we have in, in Philippians 4 is kind of Paul's beginning to wind this letter down. And he's going to really throw out a lot of different things, some things that uh, he's been, we've been looking at in the book and the letter so far. And so we want to look at Philippians uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 9 this morning. It says this, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved, exhortation, encouragement, and prayer. He's kind of outlined where he's going there. He's going to exhort them of some things. He's going to encourage them. And he's going to tell them to pray. Verse 2, I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syndike to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is holy, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of God. Now, as we've seen, the church of Philippi is a good church, but it's a church that's facing difficult times. This was a difficult time for the early church. I mean, Paul's in jail. The leader is in, in jail being persecuted because he was preaching the gospel. As we've seen in Philippians, we have, we have enemies from without, that, and that would be governments and, and like 
the one that imprisoned Paul. So there's, there's persecution coming from those who, who do not love Christ. Then you have some people kind of that in religion uh, that are trying to bring false teachings into the Philippians church that uh, we looked at this a few weeks ago that it's Christ plus uh, Jewish tradition. It's Christ plus circumcision. It's Christ plus keeping the law. And so Paul is, uh, uh, is dealing with, the, the, the Philippian church is dealing with, uh, with this situation, but also as we see in this text, there were some inner things that were going on. There was a conflict uh, between a couple of ladies in the church, and, and, and what we see here is they're two Christian ladies, they're two ladies that are laborers for the gospel. I mean, these are great ladies that are, are disagreeing about something, and so there's actually some inner turmoil inside the church, inside this good church. But amidst all the difficulty, their calling that's been given in, in chapter 1, verse 27, when he says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. This is our calling, no matter the circumstances we face. This is the calling to the Philippians church. This is the call to our church that it doesn't matter the enemies from without. It doesn't matter uh, the enemies that are trying to bring in false teachings. It doesn't matter the enemies that we can kind of be to one another within the church that that life is hard. Sin is hard. Sin causes turmoil. It causes trouble. Despite all of that, we're still called to live lives that are worthy of the gospel we've been given in Christ. And so what we see is what Paul does in the first couple of verses is he zeroes in on this particular situation. And he tells them, hey, when it comes to the church, you've really got to live a life worthy of the gospel before each other in the church. And then he's going to take a few steps back and, and kind of continue that train of thought, but say, hey, this is what we've been called on uh, to do in front of the whole world that's looking in on the church. And so we're going to kind of do that. We're going to zero in on this particular situation in the church and then kind of look at what we're supposed to look like outside the church. So let's first look at this situation inside the church and how we are to be living a life worthy of the gospel before one another. So there's a conflict between two ladies, Yodia and Syntyche. And it seems not to be a serious conflict of theological issues because Paul was never, never shied away from going, you're wrong, you're teaching false, and you're teaching... Like, he, he didn't have a problem with that, but in this situation, he never says, hey, you're right and you're wrong. And so it seems, we seem to be led to believe here that it is actually a conflict of personalities probably, that, that whatever they're disagreeing on is, is probably not that big of an important thing, but it's having important and bad uh, implications for the unity of the church. And we can, only by, we can only guess by how it's handled that it seems to be more of a conflict of personalities than anything else, but while we cannot for sure exactly know the issue, we can learn a lot about how Paul instructs them to handle the issue. And first we see just the fact that Paul takes time to address it at all. We see the importance of maintaining unity in the church. Paul takes time out of a letter to address a very personal and, and local issue in a local body of believers. 
Now we've seen him address some huge truths in Philippians. We see one of the most amazing Christological passages in the Bible that just lays out Christ's theology of, of who Christ was and, and how he was equal with God. We've seen him take on the Judaizers who've tried to corrupt the gospel and, and bring in Jesus plus something else instead of just Jesus. And so he's, he's, he's really tackled some grand themes, and yet in the midst of this book, or this letter where he's taking on these grand themes, he stops and says, but there's this little local issue in this church that is, that is threatening the church. It's threatening the unity of your church. Why? Why would he address a, something such as this when he could have addressed some more, what we would say, important things, more timeless things? Well, Paul knew that that, that it's to, because he did this because to be a church who carries the banner of the awesome and beautiful truths of God in his gospel, that we must be able to apply those grand truths to everyday life. If what we preach does not work on the ground in our lives, then the world's not going to want to hear us preach. If the grand themes that we believe does not in some way change the way we interact with each other as the church and individuals in a church, then are those truths really all that grand? If Jesus cannot reconcile two people who claim to love Him, then is the gospel really all that great? Is it really that, that powerful of a friendship? I mean, it's... I mean, I mean, what, what, if it can't bring together friends and keep people as friends and, and, and work through things, then, then is it really all that attractive to anyone outside the church? A church can go down in flames over a minor issue. It's happened time and time again. And Paul knows this, that it's not just the big, huge things that are important. It's the everyday conflict that we face. Time and time again in the Scriptures, we are, we are taught that our love for one another in the church is going to be what gets the world's attention. Jesus said, they're going to know that I am who I said I am because you're, you remain to be one as the church. How we love and care for one another lends great truth to what we preach. And we see in, in Paul's handling this situation the need to address specific issues and specific people in the church. We notice that Paul names names here. I mean, imagine if this letter, which was probably the custom, was written to the local body of believers out loud, and you get to, to the end of the letter, and he's naming names, and these, these women are probably in the congregation, and you know they're getting some sideways glances. Yodia Syntyche, you hear that? Paul just busted y'all out. You need to deal with it. 
You need to deal with your issues because you're threatening what we have here. And we live in a time when, when people really don't expect to be called out by the church or by their friends in the church or the leaders of the church. Well, we do. We live in a time where I can get a divorce for whatever, whatever reason I want to get a divorce and no one can, in the church can say anything to me. It's none of your business. I can live however I want to live on Saturday, but it's, it's not your business on Sunday. If I'm here, that's the main thing. If I'm here, don't talk about how I'm living the rest of the week. I'm here. And that's as far as your authority goes. If there's an issue in, in the church, we'd like to say, well, some people are doing this, or some people are saying this. We don't want to be too direct. We don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. And Paul seems very not worried about feelings right here. Just calls them out. I mean, these, are, these are godly women. He says, hey, these are laborers. These are good godly women, so they should be able to deal with this. So Paul here tells us that the unity and the health of the church is important enough that often you need to address it directly. You need to go to the source. You need to go to the people. You need to even at times name names. We're to be a family here, are we not? I mean, that's what the church is, a family. And, and if we're going to be a functional family, then we need to be able to deal with things directly and then love one another and move past it. So sometimes you have to address things directly. It's good, it's godly, it's, it's what shows that the church and its health is important. And we see the way Paul handles this is that sometimes we need help to resolve conflict. Sometimes we need others. Conflicts are not easily easy, especially in a situation like this where there doesn't seem to be a right or wrong. There just seems to be a situation that these ladies are not handling well. And sometimes it's so hard in the midst of that to know. And usually what happens in that situation, there's both, there's wrong handling on both sides. And they both need, uh, need to ask for forgiveness. They both need to give forgiveness and they need to be brought back together but sometimes when we're in the midst of that battle we can't we can't get past it and that's when we need to say i need someone to help paul that's what he does here he he calls on a true companion which we don't know who that is but he's saying hey i need you true companion to help these ladies figure it out they need some help they can't do it on their own they're at an impasse we also see that when when we attempt to come into conflict to resolve it there's a need to be impartial we find paul here never in any way any shape or form indicates which person he thinks is right and which one he thinks is wrong in fact it seems like he goes out of his way to kind of symmetrically address them both because he says i entreat euodia and then he repeats it and i entreat syndicate so he states it both that, that, hey, I'm saying the same thing to you that I'm saying to you. Y'all need to come together. You've got to be impartial. And 
And then the basis, the Lord is the basis for unity. I love what Paul tells them to do. He says, agree in the Lord. This is, this is the place where even when we can't come to grips with a certain conflict, especially if, if it's a minor conflict, if it's, not a, if it's not a huge theological issue and we can't come to grips on, if it's a matter of opinion, even when we can't come to grips, we should be able to agree in the Lord. And no matter the depth of the pain, no matter the depth of, of how bad you've hurt each other and what you've done to one another or, or how bad you want the other person to agree with you, that you should be able to both get, come together and say, you know what, the glory of God is worth it. The unity of the church is worth it. So let's agree in the Lord. Let's just agree we've both done things here that we shouldn't have done. And maybe we can't agree on this issue, but we can come together in our love for one another. And that's what it, that's, I mean, we should be able to, we should be able to more than anybody in this world, be able to stay together despite differences, major differences between one another, that we can all come under the cross and say, hey, I'll meet you at the cross. If I can't meet you anywhere else, we can meet at the cross. And that's the way we should be as the church. Now Paul, in verse 4, is not, he's not totally leaving the subject, but he's broadening it out beyond just this one little uh, church conflict. He's going to talk about living a life worthy of the gospel before the world. And the first thing he's going to say is to live with joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. I mean, how miserable do we have to be as Christians to have to be reminded twice to be joyful? But the reality is is sometimes we don't live in the truth and, and in the reality of what we've been given and the grace we've been given and, and how no matter what else happens in life, we have Christ. Like, how can we not be the most joyful people? Sometimes I feel like we're the fun police. Just looking for sin to call out and, 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 and never, never bringing grace in the picture. Never, uh, never just with joy say, telling people how awesome it is to be under the grace of God. And that joy, the beautiful thing is, is that it's not based on circumstances, and we'll get into that next week, because Paul's going to hit on this again. Joy, Christian joy is, because it, it, it says here, rejoice in the Lord always. There's a lot of things in your life that, man, you can't, you can't have joy in, but when it comes to the Lord, there can always be joy. In the Lord, you can always find joy and satisfaction. And he says here in verse 5, let your reasonableness be known. I, I can't say that word well. We've got to work on that. Uh, be known to everyone. And what does that mean, to be, let your reasonableness be known to everyone? I mean, it's, it's some, some translations, it's gentleness. And basically what it means is, as Paul has brought up a good bit in this letter that, hey, uh, man, live a life like Christ. Live a life for others. Put others above yourself. 
look out for the interests of others. That's what he means by being reasonable here. Okay, so that's what we are to be as Christians. And, and the joy that we have in Christ should make that all the more possible. There were not people that are going into a world that, I mean, we got to demand everything from everybody. We got to demand respect. We've got to demand that you serve me. We got to demand that you, you do things right for me. No, we, we, we don't have to do that because we have the joy, our joy, we rejoice in the Lord and we go into a world and we're full because our satisfaction is in Christ. And so we go into, into a world not to be filled, but to pour ourselves out for others to, to say, hey, it's, it's not about me. And no, you don't have to, the world doesn't have to revolve around me. I'm here to serve you. You don't always have to do me right. I don't always demand perfection. No, I've got Christ. And so I'm here to serve. I'm here to love the world and to be reasonable and not demand everything that maybe I could demand if I didn't have Christ. He says, the Lord is at hand. I love that. How can you not be joyful and how can you not be reasonable in this world when your God is at hand? He's not off in the clouds. He's not off in a, on his throne somewhere where he doesn't know what you're going through and, and where he's not going to come to your rescue. One of my favorite, favorite scriptures is Hebrews 4.14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I love that. That Christ, though He has went through the heavens, remains near. That's amazing. What amazing truth to govern your life that although in victory he took off and he went back to set at the right hand of God, he is never far. And he longs for you to just ask for help from him in time of need. That you can confidently, that you don't just, you can't just approach, you don't just approach the throne, you approach it with confidence. Because of what Christ has done. How can we not be joyful and live reasonable towards others in this world? Then he tells us we're to live, in verses 6 through 7, we're to live with peace. First he tells us not, do not be anxious. Do not be anxious about anything. How timely of a message is this for us in our world? Y'all, this is how we live our lives. We get on Facebook. Well, the Joneses are on their third date night this month, and uh, me and my spouse haven't had a date since 2014. And they look like they love each other. Look at those smiles, and that must be nice to love your spouse. And look how nice their kids look. I look at these I look at my kids, and there's no laundry. There's no laundry in the background. 
how could I live my life like this? Look at them. Look at the Joneses. Oh, look, somebody's really upset about Starbucks cups not having a nativity scene on them. Should I be enraged at that? If I'm not enraged at that and if I don't repost that, people are going to think I don't love Jesus, so maybe I should be enraged at that. It doesn't seem like a big deal, but Christians are upset, so maybe I should be upset. Oh, I'm going to check the headline, the news headlines. 24 hours news cycle, isn't that great? World War III this week. We're going to be nuked by Wednesday by North Korea. Y'all, this is the world we look, is that not true? If you're too old to be on Facebook, thank the Lord. I mean, we live in a time where we think every election is the most important that there's ever been, and if the right person is in there, the world's going to fall apart and God's going to get kicked off His throne. We live a life of comparing ourselves to others because people are showing their, their highlights of their life and we think that that's what their life is like and it's nothing like ours. And so we're full of anxiety. And, and every time we, you know, we look at Facebook and like this week, coffee causes cancer. And like next week, like it cures cancer. And we're just like, I don't, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what I should be afraid of. It seems like. And into this, and, and, and y'all, as much as we feel like our world is filled with anxiety, can I say something? That what the Philippian church was going through and the persecution of the early church, nothing we experience comes even close. And yet Paul's word to them is, do not be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious. You have a God who is at hand. Be joyful. Then he goes on to say, instead of having anxiety, here's some things that he says to do. He says, pray. But in everything, okay, instead of having anxiety, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. The God who is at hand in verse 5 is the God that's saying, hey, tell me what you need. Offer up supplication. Tell me what you need me to do. Let me know what you need me to supply to you. And I'm the God who's at hand. I'm the God who's there for you. When you read something that scares you to death, man, pray about it. Give it to me. When you feel anxiety because your life is not what someone else's is, but give that to me. Pray about it. Ask me to supply you the help that you need in that situation. Pray. He says pray also with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is a, a powerful force. I encourage you now this week, since hey, it's a great time, it's Thanksgiving week, I encourage you every morning before your foot hits the floor to I mean, just take a moment and think of a couple of things that God has done or God is doing in your life that you should be thankful for and thank Him. You'll be amazed, okay, at how the better, much better your life 
goes that day when you start it with gratitude, not, oh, I got so much to do today and, uh, you know, everything's driving me crazy. Just start off with, man, this is what God's doing or this is what God has done. And, and there's a couple things it does. It, for, it helps us to focus on the positive, right, instead of just all the negative. But probably more important than that, it reminds us of the kind of God we serve that time and time again, He does great things for us. And He's going to do great things for us today. What a great, great thing. So, build a habit this week and in the weeks to come of always starting your day with gratitude and prayer. If we keep our minds and hearts focused on the right things, we should be the calmest people on the planet. Verse 7, it says if we do this, if we cast off anxiety, if we pray and with thanksgiving and make our requests known, it says in verse 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What a great promise that in a world full of anxiety, that if we will turn to God, if we're focused on the right things, if we'll pray to Him, if we'll pray in thanksgiving, that Christ will guard our hearts and say, and say no anxiety here. We should be the calmest people on the planet. When everyone else is freaking out, we should be so calm that they go, they're a bunch of crazy people. How can they be so calm? How can they be so joyful in a world that seems to be going so wrong? It's because we should have a peace that they can't even understand because our peace is in Christ and what He has done for us in the Gospel, what He does for us on a daily basis. In an age darkened by anxiety, a, 20, a social media, 24-hour news cycle, in an age darkened by anxiety, we have all the more the opportunity to shine a light of joyful confidence in Christ. Amen? We have an opportunity here, folks. We have an opportunity to shine a ray of hope in an anxiety-filled world. And in verse 8, he tells us to live basically live a life that embraces what is good long list of things here he says finally brothers whatever is true whatever is honorable whatever is just whatever is pure whatever is lovely whatever is commendable if there is any excellence if there is anything worthy of praise think about these things what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. This is a list far too exhaustive for us to break down in our little bit of time remaining. So to sum it up, it says dwell on the good that God is doing in the world. Despite the fact that we live in a very broken world, a, a world of mass shootings, a world of wars, a war of hurricanes, of cancer, of divorce, of abortion, of all kinds of evil. 
these are things that we fight against. These are not the things we should dwell on to the point that it just brings darkness. Because in this broken world, there's also truth to be sought out. There's honor, as it says here. There's justice to be sought out. There's purity. There's love. There's excellence. There's things that are praiseworthy. There are things that are to inspire. They're the, they're the marriage of 65 years. The basis, the, the, or the bass boats that come to rescue people from the hurricane. The single mom who chooses life, the person who does not kill other people but lays their life down for others. Y'all, we live in a world that, that is full of darkness, but it's also full of light. It's full of wonderful, amazing things that God is doing in our world. And, and, and Paul says, hey, you've got to think on those things. You can't let all the bad things consume you. You've got to think on the good things. And most of all, the God, we must meditate on the God who gave His Son for us. That's, there's nothing more excellent than that to dwell on. And the fact that we serve a God who gave us Christ, who came and lived a perfect life that we couldn't live and died the death that we deserve so that we who place our faith and our trust in Christ might have life. Jesus said this about himself in, in 16, John 16, 33. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have come, overcome the world. That's, that just screams these thoughts in Philippians that yeah, the world is hard. But we serve a God who sent Christ who overcame the world so that we could have hope. Let me ask you something. Do you know Christ? Do you know Christ this morning? Do you have that hope in a world that has gone wrong? And Do you have hope that, that you know the one who conquered the world? You can leave this place in a, in a, and go into a difficult world with an amazing amount of hope in your life if you'll trust Christ this morning. If you put your faith in Him. I'd, I'll be down here in a few minutes. I'd love to talk to you about that. There's people around you that would love uh, to talk to you about that. And Christian, are you consumed with the anxiety and the things around you? Paul closes his thoughts here you know, if, if it, we didn't know better, we'd say it's so arrogant what he says here. What well, you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. I mean, Paul lived a life that was so dependent on God and so free of the anxiety of the world and the problems of the world he was so free that he was able to look and write to a church and say, what you've seen in me, that's what you need to be doing. Christian, are you living that kind of life that the world 
that, that you would feel comfortable being able to say, hey, watch me and do what I do. Be as calm as I am in the midst of difficulty. Trust God as much as I do in the midst of your pain. I think we could all use some work on that so that we can better tell our kids, hey, watch dad or watch mom or, or tell our, our, our uh, immature Christian friends, hey, I'm going to help you. I'm going to grow. We're going to grow together. Let us be people that can, like Paul, say, do what I'm doing. Do what I'm doing. I'm going to ask our musicians to come. I'm going to ask that, that you please stand as we say a, say a prayer to God this morning. Respond however he has spoken to you in, in his word this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I thank you that we, in the midst of a difficult world, that it's sometimes hard to live out our faith. God, that you have given us everything we need to live in this world with hope, with a calmness. God, I pray that we all, that we would be a church of Wyatt that is so calm. Not that we don't care, not that we don't do the things that we need to do, not that we're lazy, but we're calm with a confidence that you are on your throne. God, move in us, make us, God, set us free from anxiety through the truth of your word this morning. God, move in hearts here. God, if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, God, I pray that they would respond to you this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.